second service typically. Um, and I have the great honor of just hanging out with our sixth through 12th grade students. Um, we ourselves, we have four kids. We have Addie, who's nine, Luca, who's eight, David, who's six, and Barrett, who is two. So, you know, we've got just a lot going on all the time. <laughs> um, so I would say that I love what I do. Um, sometimes I look back and I can't believe that I'm actually here doing this. Um, if you would have asked me when I was a teenager if this is what I would be doing with my life, um, I, this wouldn't even be in the picture. Um, and so it, it's really fun to look back. Um, but I had different plans when I was growing up. In hindsight, though, I can see how, uh, how it all came together um, and what the Lord was doing and the people that he used in my life. And so what I'd like to do today a little bit is to use some of my own story to kind of help connect what Paul is trying to stress here to Timothy in this new section. Um, so before we jump into this any further, I want to invite Terry Martin up. He's going to read our passage for us today in 2 Timothy, um, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 1. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Good morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. All right, thank you, Terry. You guys can have a seat. Um, so, uh, before we kind of jump in any further, I'm just going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this. Uh, Father God, we're thankful, Lord, for this morning. God, I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to, um, to dive into your word together, to, um, to read and, and learn from uh, what you have for us, God, um, the message that you laid on Paul's heart for Timothy and how that can apply to us. Um, God, I pray that you'd use this time um, to accomplish your will in our lives and that you would transform our hearts and, and, our, um, and our lives to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a little bit about me. Um, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky um, to a young mom and a young dad. Um, and when I was around six years old, um, they split, they divorced. And uh, my grandparents ended up getting custody of myself and my little sister. Uh, my dad, he worked long, long hours doing construction. So, um, you know, I'm, he, w he wasn't an absent father by any means, but he was just busy a lot. He was always gone working. So my grandparents are really the ones who raised us. And it just so happened that the, f the house that my dad and I, um, that we lived in, was on the same property as my grandparents' It was actually their property, and so it just kind of worked out. And so uh, my grandparents raised me. Uh, my grandpa taught me how to do everything that I know how to do. Uh, he taught me how to ride a bike. He taught me how to use a lawnmower. He taught me how to string up a weed eater. He taught me how to ride horses and to uh, do all these kind of things. He taught me how to drive a car. He taught me how to drive stick shift. I mean, you name it. If I know how to do it, it's probably because my grandpa showed me how to do it. Um, and he introduced me to my first love. It was basketball. Uh, it was my first love. Basketball was something that, I, that he loved passionately, um, and he still loves today. And it was because of his love for basketball that I became obsessed with it. 
Um, and we would play every night, it felt like. And even when it was too cold for him to play outside, he would watch me from the window while I played, just to make sure that he could see what I was doing uh, and that I felt like we were doing it together. Um, and I could never beat him. I remember trying my hardest to beat him in every game of possible, but I could never do it until his sh shoulder started giving out on him. And then I started taking advantage of him a little bit. Um, but he was just always so much better than me. And I remember how he showed me the fundamentals and he taught me the basics and how we'd work on the little things before we would move on to the harder things uh, and to the more advanced things. Uh, he transferred all of his knowledge to me and that helped me tremendously, right? Um, I was consumed by this sport now um, because of all of this and I went to play UofL basketball camps in different leagues and I wanted to play in college and I had the dream that every young basketball player had of wanting to play in the NBA, but I think, you know, my height and everything else was working to my disadvantage, and it's clear now that I, it, wasn't my, it wasn't my calling in life, which I'm okay with. Um, but if we fast forward a little bit and into my high school years, I found myself kind of in an identity crisis. Um, I got caught up in some stuff that really got me off track. Uh, my foundation, for as good as my grandparents uh, did, and they did a great job, um, it was not built on Christ, however. Um, and so I found myself kind of lost. Uh, and I do want to be careful when, I, when I'm talking about them because I'm not trying to paint a picture that's disrespectful towards them, if that makes sense. Um, they did a great job with me, and they did the best that they could. Um, and I'm just forever grateful because they didn't have to step in in the way that they did. And they did a, a fantastic job, and I'm, I'm so thankful for them. And I love them and have the utmost respect for them. Um, but... What I want to point out is that there was just an absence of like a spiritual foundation, right? There wasn't this kind of like heritage of faith that we get to read of um, and, and what Timothy is being taught about and being reminded of. And so when we moved to Indiana, my freshman year of high school, um, I was struggling a little bit. Um, I was doing so bad in school because of this that my parents thought it would be a good idea uh, to uh, take me out of the big public school and put me into a little bitty private school called Bethesda, and it was in Brownsburg, Indiana. Um, and this is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Um, it's where I met the two most important people in my life. It's where I met Jesus, and it's where I met my wife. Um, and so it's also where I met several other individuals um, who I'm eternally grateful for. My art teacher, Gary Varvel, my youth pastor, John Mulligan, and a youth leader named Jeff Seymour. And it would take forever to go into detail about what these individuals did for me in my time there with them. Uh, it would take forever, um, but obviously uh, it did so much that I'm still talking about them 13 years later. Uh, they made a huge impact on my life for the sake of the gospel and for the Lord. Um, these men, they spent time with me. They poured themselves into me, and I wasn't their family, but there were times when I definitely felt like I was their family. Um, the Lord used them in a mighty way to bring me to himself, and it was because of their efforts, right? Uh, they saw a young guy looking for something, really anything, to grab hold of and to give him hope and a purpose in life, and they went the extra mile for me, right? Um, fast forward a little bit further, not too much because I was still young, but my wife and I, we got married uh, when I was 19 years old, and I had no clue, right, what I was doing, and I felt lost. Again, I think that's normal for a newlywed, right? I had a foundation that was set in Christ, laid by the work of those men uh, that I just mentioned, and I knew that I wanted to be a godly husband, and that one day I would want to be a godly father, but I didn't have that kind of upbringing. I didn't have those examples to kind of lean on and look back towards, right? So I didn't have like an idea of what that looked like. Um, 
I was prepared, though, when it came to cutting my grass and general maintenance on my stuff and all that kind of things, all the things that my grandpa instilled in, in me. Um, and I knew that I loved my wife, but when it came to the spiritual stuff, I, I didn't have anything really to offer. Um, and so what I ended up doing was I uh, observed godly people, godly men, right? The men around me. It was actually men in this church um, who taught me what it looked like to love my wife. It was men in this church um, who I looked to when it came to being a godly father, what it looked like, what it took. Now, I'm in no way perfect, not even close. Um, I still struggle, but it was the memories I had also of Gary and of John and of Jeff and how they love their families that I clung to as well. And many of these people, they may not even know it, but their lives left a, a mark that um, is going to stay with me for the rest of my life that I'm never going to forget, right? Which really is the basis for what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. Um, these people, they're leaving behind a, a heritage of faith, not only in their families, but in the lives of those around them, right? So Paul here, he's still speaking to a young Timothy, right? But Paul's circumstances, they've changed between writing 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Right in the first letter, Paul was anticipating coming to see Timothy. However, in this second letter, uh, he's in prison, right? And now he's calling uh, for Timothy to come and visit him. And he's also wanting, you know, his books to be brought to him and copies of Scripture. And he's preparing Timothy to receive the torch that Paul will pass on to him, right? And it's kind of the impending death of Paul. He knows what's coming, right? He knows what's coming. And that frames this letter for us and gives us a sense of, of urgency between, or behind Paul's words, and so the first thing that Paul does here is that he encourages Timothy. He encourages him. Right now, we've, we kind of gather from the book of 1 Timothy that Timothy is a little unstable, it would seem. It might that not be the right word, but he's young, and he may have some kind of chronic stomach issues that hinder him at times. Um, he's a little shy and, he, and, and intimidated because of his youth. Uh, but Paul calls him to remember something. He says to remember his faith, but not only his faith, the heritage of his faith. He says that the sincere faith that he possesses, that Timothy possesses, first lived within his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, right? My grandpa passed on to me what he cherished, the things that he cherished, right? The things that meant a lot to him are the things that he spent time on with me. And as, as a result, I now have an affection for the same things, right? Old cars, old trucks, working with my hands and all those kind of things, basketball. And like I mentioned, um, it was because of his love for those things first, right? His love for the game that I became obsessed with it. And now it's pretty cool. I'm teaching my son, Luca, the things that my grandpa showed me, right? It's pretty incredible to think about now how I'm watching my son from the window <laughs> playing basketball and how we're learning these things together and how we're playing together and how he's trying to beat me, but he can't do it yet. <laughs> um, we all have these surreal moments, don't we, of uh, of just being parents or just adults where we realize that we've grown up now. We've grown up and now we're doing the things that we witnessed our parents and other influential adults doing. Right now, this might be weird, um, but if you can track with me for a moment, um, what I want us to do now is, is just to close our eyes and take a second to think through your heritage. So don't be weird about it. Just close your eyes and think about your heritage. Remember your parents and your grandparents and so on. Go back as far as you can think. Now, what I want you to do is think about your faith. Track your faith back. Who introduced you to Jesus? Are there certain traditions and values that you hold on to that were passed down to you? Why? Why do you value these things? 
who was influential in establishing those things in your life. Right? Now you can open your eyes. Um, some of you probably don't like looking back. Maybe for you it brings up a lot of pain, or maybe for you it, it hurts too much. Right? I want you to know today that God sees your pain. Right? He's, he's here for you. He's not left your side. I personally have some really hard, painful things that come to mind when I, want, when I look back and think through my family. But God's done a wonderful work in those areas of my life, and I pray, and I just, I, I believe, and I know that he has that for you. He can do the same for you. And so today, as we're going to go through this, you're going to find yourself probably in one of two camps, right? You either have a spiritual heritage, meaning that you can think back and think through your family and how they've passed things down to you and a deep root of faith in your family, and maybe you don't have a deep one, but you have one, or you're like how I was, and you don't have one. You didn't have any kind of passing down of, of faith and, and, and the hope of Jesus in your life. Nothing really passed on to you from your family when it comes to that. And so for both groups today, what we'll look at is how we're to pour into and build upon that heritage that was laid, the foundation that was laid that you have, and if you don't have one, what it looks like to start one, right? And so who are we to consider when we talk about our heritage of faith? Well, I think the first and probably easiest place to look at is your, you know, what it means to have a heritage is your family, right? That's exactly where Paul went when he reminded Timothy of his heritage of faith. Uh, now, it is strange, though. I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul doesn't mention Timothy's father or grandfather here. And maybe they, were simply, maybe they simply weren't just men of faith. Maybe they didn't have that. Uh, we know that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman and she was a believer. Um, they find that in Acts 16. Uh, we know that his father was a Greek, meaning that he probably was a, a Gentile or a non-Jew, right? What faith he did or did not have or how involved he was in Timothy's life, we really don't have a way of knowing, right? But, but what we do know is that two strong women shaped uh, Timothy's life in such a way that, that he became a trusted and talented assistant to the great Apostle Paul, Right? This passage does shed light on a principle that is important for us to understand. Um, if you're a parent, and I'm really talking to myself here because my children are young and I know I'm going to face a lot more difficult stuff as they get older, but we've been given such an opportunity, right? We've been called to do this very thing. We've been called to pour into our, child, our children spiritually, and really we don't get to take a pass on this, right? No matter the circumstances, for whatever reason, the men of Timothy's house aren't mentioned, but his mother and his grandmother are, are and, and God has written them in his holy word for every mortal, forever immortalized for their faith and their devotion to the Lord, and that they poured that into Timothy, teaching him of God. And so praise God for these two women and their faithfulness, right? Praise God for them. Now, again, this is speculation because we don't know much about Timothy's dad, but I like to think of this. I like to think of a, a mom left to raise her boy, and instead of giving up because the dad doesn't have time to step in, she steps in and she pours herself out, right? If that's you, if you're a single mom or a single dad, or maybe you're not single, but when it comes to faith, you feel like you are, remember these two women, and I pray that their faithfulness encourages you and gives you some strength and motivation to carry on because the Lord blesses it. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 7, uh, we find these words. It says, these words that I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, I love that verse. 
It, it, it's pretty awesome. Moses had just delivered previously to this, this section the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and he was instructing them on how to uphold these commandments, right? They made religion an integral part of their lives, right? This is because their religious education, it wasn't really information-oriented. It was life-oriented. If you look back at those verses, it, it was just about life. It was about doing life, whether you get up or sit down or walk or stand or sleep, whatever you're doing, right? Talk about these things. Or they use the context of daily life to teach about God. And so I read a book called Family Discipleship. It was written by Pastor Matt Chandler. And in it, he talked about how every family has a unique rhythm, right? And rhythm is just a word used to summarize your typical daily flow of life, the routines that you and your family have. And the rhythm that we, or in this rhythm, uh, what we do is we look and we see uh, where it is that our paths cross naturally with our children and our spouses and our friends, the natural rhythm and the natural crossing of paths. And we ask ourselves, are we using the time that we have in our regular natural rhythm to speak of and teach of God? Are we using those times, the natural intersections where you're constantly, where you're normally spending time with your, your loved ones? Are you using those times? Now, I'm not saying that family devotion times and family group learning times, that those times aren't like essential um, to this kind of stuff. They're not important. It's important, I think, to set aside time and to do those things. But when you think about this principle, I'm reminded of the disciples and how they learned from Christ. And it was done by their lives being immersed in Jesus, right? They followed him everywhere he went. They witnessed how he handled conflict and confrontation, how he dealt with people who were different than him, uh, how he loved and cared for people, how he loved the Father and he submitted to his authority. They learned in this exact manner, right, of just being surrounded by him, by, by being with him. Now think about your family and your closest friends for a moment. Would it be awkward or maybe uncomfortable for you to bring up Christ casually in a conversation? And if yes, why? Why would it be weird for you to bring it up if Jesus is woven into your life? Well, it could be because it isn't part of our normal rhythm to have these kind of conversations, right? Maybe it would be abnormal for you to have this kind of conversation. If you look back at Deuteronomy, Moses says first that the words he's given to them are to beware, to be on their hearts. He says the words that I'm giving to you are to be on your hearts. And then you're to do what? Repeat them to your children, right? Talking about it with them, whether you sit, walk, lie down, get up, everything in between. Paul, one chapter over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he reminds Timothy of the examples that he's given him, that Timothy has witnessed and he tells him to pass it on, to keep it going, right? This idea of passing it on is exactly what we're talking about, right? We're talking about what it looks like to have a heritage of faith, generations of faith, uh, you know, just passing it on, passing it down. And it starts with Christ and the affections of your heart for him, right? Without it, you're unlikely to share it with anyone, to share him with anyone if you don't have that deep affection for him in your heart first, so, my grandpa loved basketball so much that he couldn't help talking about it with me. It just came out. It was like, as soon as I could walk or even hold a basketball, he was ready to teach me. It was, he was so excited to do that. Um, 
So my question then is, do we have just as much affection for Christ as we do the other things that, he cher- that we cherish, right? The things that we cherish, the things that we are so excited to, te- to teach, to pass on, to make sure that our loved ones know, do we have that same affection for Jesus? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 4 says this. It says, For I passed on to you as most important or first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Is the gospel of first importance to you and in your life? And if so, what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? How is it affecting our relationships with our loved ones, with our spouses, with our families? How are we passing along the greatest gift that we've ever received? So you know what I hear a lot when it comes to family and when it comes to children? I hear this often. I just want them to find out what they believe and figure it out on their their own. Just, I want them to figure it out. I don't want to force them. And this one's really tough for me because I understand that sentiment. I get it, right? We want to be respectful of our children. You don't want to force anything on them. You want them to figure it out on their own. But that, that part is what scares me. Do we really want them to figure it out by themselves on their own? Because the world is actively taking advantage of that very notion, that very thing, right? When we take a path on this, the world steps in. Right? It's never tired. It's constantly trying to disciple our kids daily. Right? And also, this idea, I, I can't find it in Scripture. It's not present. Right? The idea of just letting them go off and figure it out on their own um, is really isn't anywhere to be found. You have the prodigal son, but he returns, and he had this deep root. He knew the truth. He knew what it was. Right? It wasn't for a lack of trying. Um, but what we see is the opposite commanded of us as parents. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he, should not, he will not depart from it. The verse that we looked at in Deuteronomy tells us to repeat his word to our children. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Psalm 78 verses 4 through 6 says, We will not hide them from their children, but will tell a future generation the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might, and the, wondrous, and the wondrous works that he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel in which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and to tell their children. I mean, there's many more, many more verses where we are told what to do here. And so here's where I think the problem lies in that idea, that notion. There's a fear of, of their rejection of both of us and of faith. That's the last thing I want is for my children to leave the faith, to, to, to just reject me and reject our beliefs because I cherish them so much. That would be devastating to me. And that's a huge fear, right? And I get that. Maybe you were hurt by the church or maybe you were forced to uphold and maintain an image of perfection and you absolutely don't want that for your kids. You don't want that same experience for your child, and I get that. But I would argue, however, that what's most important here is what we just covered and what we've been covering, having that genuine and active faith ourselves and it being woven into the fabric of our lives so that at any moment you can enter into these things, right? So that your lifestyle matches your faith and convictions from the Spirit, that your life backs up what you say you believe, right? So we have to ask ourselves, what do they see in us, right? Does our life, what does our life say about our faith? Is it a facade? Is it faith on Sundays, 
only, right? It, because I, for one, certainly would not want to go somewhere if we just pretended for a couple hours to be someone who we really weren't, right? If we had to put on a show, I, I would get boring, or t- I would just get tired of it really fast as a kid, right? I would see through it. Or maybe people see strict traditionalism, a form of legalism, perhaps. Um, are we extremely rigid in the traditionalism of religion, of, of holding fast to the things that were passed down to us, but simply for the sake of honoring tradition, right? This is a hard one because it can have the appearance of active, genuine faith, but it has potential to be void of it, right? There's an oppressive and damaging nature behind it because it comes down hard on rules and it's void of grace. And if this was your upbringing and you would know if it was, right, because you're scarred by it, where you were forcibly subjected to this kind of teaching, then no wonder you have an avoidance to it, right? You don't want to subject your kids to any of that. Both of those things cause damage because they lack the one thing needed, right? An authentic and vibrant relationship with Christ. They appear to have the markers of faith, but like I said before, they're void of it. And they're damaging those who get caught up in them. And at the end of the day, you can play the part all you want, right? Doing the things that you think are required to be good or to look right, but without an overflowing love for Christ, without him at your core, at its core, it's really void of, of hope. It's void of him. And so what we see is that the faith that Timothy has, his sincere faith, is attributed to God and to his family, how they passed on their love and passion for the Lord to him. And there's something major to be said about that. Right now, I will say the one thing that we have to watch out for is making sure that our young people understand their faith, right? It's really too easy for kids to ride the coattails of their parents, of their family, and to grow up thinking that they're good because my parents made me go to church every day every Sunday, right? Or because my family's uh, Christian. I hear that a lot, right? Or just saying, I was brought up in a Christian home. It really isn't the same as I was a sinner who needed saved and I could do nothing about it, right? There's a difference there, right? My prayer is by saying that you grew up in a Christian home, what you mean is that your family taught you the gospel, that they poured into you, that they loved you so much and they gave you the hope of Jesus Christ. They taught you that day and night right, that you saw it, that you lived it, that, that you witnessed it, right, trying their best to introduce you to your Savior, making you go to church every Sunday, um, not for the sake of just, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, but to introduce you to your Savior, right? If our heritage is void of the principle that Deuteronomy is teaching us, then I think we're missing it. Now, I know that, you know, this was a big section on, on parenting, and not all of us are parents, um, but I would be remiss if I didn't spend some time on it. Uh, but it's clear that these principles, they apply to far more than just parents and their children, right? And so like, the, like we just covered, the first place we typically look for a heritage of faith is family, but it's not limited to only family. Like I mentioned, it extends to others as well, right? Really, those outside the family, literally anyone who you've had an impact on spiritually or that's influenced you, Right? anybody else. First Timothy verses one, or First Timothy one verse two, we see Paul call Timothy a true son in the faith. Paul has adopted Timothy as a spiritual son. Right? Paul and Timothy obviously share no blood, but Paul took Timothy in. Paul had his eyes open and his heart primed by the Lord to pour into Timothy to take him under his wing. God used people in other than uh, my family to reach me. 
right? Faithful people who love the Lord so much and who understand the call that he placed upon their lives, right? So think about the rhythm of your life and the people that you come in contact with every day and the vast amounts of opportunities that lie in front of you. And what does your presence bring along with it, right? How do people leave you in your presence? How do they leave? Are they better off or are they worse off for having been with you? Are you living and breathing the hope of Christ and the love of Christ? Parents, think about the opportunities that are present with your children's friends. And I need you to trust me on this one because as a friend who was, or as a kid who was not a believer, I had friends who were and and who had Christ-loving homes. And these kids, they're watching you. They're observing you, right? They see you. They don't have this at home, and they see it at your place. They see the way you love your kids. They see the way you love the Lord. They see the way that you care, right? It makes an impact, and they're observing. And I know because that's exactly what I did. I saw it. It was captivating, right? Think about the people around you who desperately need someone just to step in, just to step in, whether you have kids or not, if you're married or you're single or if you're in college or you're high school or you're younger or whatever place of life you're in, right? Just like Pastor Brett taught us last week about God's timing being perfect um, and his ways are perfect, um, he has you where he has you for a specific reason and there are people around you who need the hope of Christ and need to feel the love of Christ from someone, anyone. They need to feel it. They need to feel it. They're fighting to believe in something, in anything, and the gospel is their only hope, right? But it takes going to them. It takes you investing in them, inviting them into the rhythms of your life. I watched as a young man went through this church from a broken home that was so broken that he couldn't live there anymore, and he was taken in, and he was surrounded by the people of God here from this place he was loved on, and he felt the genuine love of Christ. It was poured into him day and night for a long time, and now he's serving in full-time ministry, right? It's, a, it's an amazing story. Now, ministry doesn't have to be the end result of these kind of things, but to look back at what God does through faithful people and to see what is possible through actively living in and living out our faith is remarkable, right? It's so cool to look back and to see what he's done. And I've seen it countless times, and I've experienced it myself, and what we need to know is that God uses that. He uses our faithfulness, right, to open up gospel opportunities. So think about, again, the amount of opportunities that are right here in this room right now. From those of you who are here who do not know the Lord to those of you who are seasoned vets in the faith, this is the call, right? To pour into someone, right? To come alongside and to lift someone up, to lift each other up, to be someone's Paul or to become someone's Timothy, to be remembered how Timothy's mother and grandmother are remembered as parents who left their mark on their children for the sake of the gospel. Um, We have people who are uh, to live as adopted sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and grandparents, friends or whatever the relationship is, all for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Christ, right? And that is one of the reasons why I love doing what I do, that I get to come alongside parents who are doing this, who are pouring themselves into their children, building a foundation of Christ in their families' lives, and together we get to pour into them. But I also get the opportunity to pour into students who don't have this, who don't have this at home, who are literally fending for themselves when it comes to faith, yet they're still here. And they're here because someone took the time 
to invite them into their lives, to invest in them, right? To love them, to welcome them in, to adopt them spiritually, to be adopted mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, right? So we don't need to leave behind, leave behind a legacy that's built upon ourselves, right? Sure, there are plenty of people who are remembered for their impacts that they've made on this world, but what counts are souls saved through faith in Jesus, right? And if I can be a part of that work, if I can be remembered for my faith in Jesus Christ, right, and the love for Christ that I have, then I pray that what I, that what I accomplish is just that, to be remembered for those things. And honestly, I don't even need to be remembered. <laughs> I don't need to be remembered. What matters is Christ and him crucified. That's all that matters. If my lifetime is spent by pouring into other people in my family and because of that work, some seeds are planted and God brings growth and life change, then that's good. I'm good with it, right? So you may be here this morning and you're like me. Uh, you didn't have this kind of upbringing, so you feel a little lost. Or maybe you feel like it's just too late or that you've missed your chance. And I want you to know that you haven't. You have not missed your chance, right? It's never too late. You can start today. But here's what you need to know and what we all need to know, that we are not the ones who save. And this is simple, right? God saves. Our call is to be faithful, right? To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to pour that out into our families and to our friends and all those who need Christ, but we cannot bring growth and life change to them, right? God does that. So we can take that burden off of ourselves. And that's a really easy burden to bear, right? We, we wear that. I remember when I first came to faith and no one in my family knows the Lord and I had a deep burden for my parents and I just felt this heavy weight that it was my job to save them, right? And so I tried really hard, but I couldn't do it. And it was pretty evident to me um, after my parents told me to stop talking to them about it, um, that it wasn't my job, right? And the Lord is gonna do something there. I'm, I'm praying for him still, right? But I'm trusting that other godly people are gonna be influencing them and that are going to them. Right? But that responsibility, that burden, is not ours to bear. It's not our responsibility to save anyone. But what we are called to do is to share and to point them to their Savior, to always be pointing them to Jesus, right? So what do we need to do here? I think there's a couple things. I think the first thing we need to do is we need to evaluate, right? I think the first thing we need to do is evaluate. And there's two things that we have to evaluate. The first is evaluating our relationship with Christ. That's where we need to start, right? With our relationship with Jesus. Where is he? Right? Is he confined to Sunday mornings to this experience only? Is he confined to your quiet times? Is he so compartmentalized that he's he's very secret in your life? Right? Is the gospel of first importance to you? Evaluate your relationship with Christ. And then next, evaluate your life and your relationships. Evaluate the flow and rhythm of your family. Identify the natural, reoccurring crossing of paths between you and your family and ask how you can use those already existing pathways as opportunities for the gospel, as teaching opportunities, as opportunities for casual conversations that have eternal impact, right? The next thing we need to do after we evaluate is we need to engage, right? We need to engage Christ, right? He's much more present in our lives than we really are aware of. He is our Savior, and if we believe the gospel, then we should be compelled to spend our time with him, not confining him to an hour a week or whatever we're doing, but we need to invest in that relationship. We need not to forget him. We need to engage him, 
right? And then, well, I'm reminded of, uh, of Luke 6.45 where it says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And if your heart is full of Christ, and then as Colossians 3.16 says, that his word is dwelling within you richly, then the overflow of your mouth should be seasoned with his grace, love, and his truth, right? Should be seasoned with his grace, love, and truth. And that will help you engage your family, friends, and coworkers, right? To get into the habit of making Christ part of your rhythm of life, right? Weaving him into the very fabric of your life, into the mundane, monotonous, everyday activities that you do, Christ is there. He's woven into it, right? You have to start somewhere if you haven't already. Sure, if it's new and this is not a part of your normal routine, it can be awkward. It probably will be awkward, and it will be for a while until it becomes normal, until it becomes expected of you, until this is such a part of you that everyone who knows you is like, yep, there he is, talking about Jesus again, <laughs> right? I have a lot of relationships outside of this place that, um, with, with nonbelievers, and uh, they have nicknames for me because they know what I'm about, Right? Now, I could be offended by them giving me nicknames, um, but I don't care because they know who I am, and then they come to me, right? They can act like they're making fun of me, but then I get phone calls in the middle of the night when they have problems and they need to talk to somebody, right? They know what I'm about. And that's not a pat on the back for me. I'm just saying, like, like there's real-world application to this, and it's okay. It's okay for it to be awkward and to make some awkward things happen in your life, but eventually it will become normal and you'll be okay with it. And if you're here and you're like, I can't have a heritage of faith because I don't even have faith yet, well, let me say this. You can, right? It's available to you. You can receive Christ today by simply believing, by placing your faith in Christ and calling upon him as your Lord and your Savior, understanding that your sin has separated you from God and that there is nothing that you can do, no amount of good, no way that you can earn your way into heaven and into eternal life, but believing that God sent Jesus to pay that price for your sins, that he rose again, and then because of his life, death, and resurrection, you can now know him and be free from the chains of sin in your life and have the hope of heaven, right? And if you've done that, then you've just begun to build a heritage of faith. You're starting that now. And to the rest of us, we need to remember this, that the lives that we touch for the sake of the gospel, they will remember how you exemplified and pointed them to Jesus, Right? And I pray that we will all leave here ready to get to work, right? That we will leave here motivated to take the very next step, whatever it would be, in order to reach the people that God has placed directly in our lives for this very reason. So we're going to pray here in a moment, and then we're going to have a time of communion. Um, but let's pray real quick, and then we'll go into that. Father God, I'm thankful, Lord, for um, this morning. Again, for the opportunity to share um, from your word, Lord. I pray, God, for all of us. Um, that we would um, look at your example, that we would see um, um, the clear uh, way that you've laid it out for us to, to model you, to have you in every part of our life, and the way that you've instructed us to reach people for your namesake, Lord. God, I pray that you would give us the confidence and boldness to do that very thing. Um, God, for anybody in this room who, um, who's on the fence, Lord, or they don't know if they want to believe in you or not, God, I pray that you would open up opportunities for conversations this morning, that they wouldn't leave here without talking to someone about this thing, God, because it is the most important um, decision they can make in their lives, and we want to celebrate that with them when they come to know you. Um, so we're going to commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So.
In a moment, I'm going to invite Mark up. Um, we're going to lead, he's going to lead us in a time of communion. And so what I pray is that as we do this, that you'll consider the obstacles that lie in the way. Maybe it's a bitterness towards the church or your parents or the upbringing that you had. Maybe you've gotten complacent in your faith and your relationship with Christ. Or maybe there is just some sin that you allowed to live in your heart that's keeping you from doing what the, cause, what the Lord has called you to do. Whatever it is, whatever's standing in the way, I pray that you'll use this time wisely to identify those things right, and to remember the cross and the freedom that he bought for you and for the hope that you have because of it. So, Mark, if you want to lead us in this time, thank you. So there's a passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 that we go to every 